And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And to follow what I'm writing about and talking about on a more regular basis, you can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY, and that is also where you can find all the articles, news stories, columns, and other events that I reference not only in this edition of Novak Now, but in all the editions of Novak Now. So the Twitter feed is the reference point, uh, the Tosfos Lahavdil for everything that I'm talking about. So you can find the footnotes, you can find the, the things I'm talking about, you can see that A, didn't make them up, and B, get more reading uh, involved uh, so that you can learn about them. Um, I want to try to do more topics than usual for just this half-hour program. Uh, for those of you who listen to talk radio on the commercial radio stations, you'll notice that very shrewdly, the successful talk radio hosts usually tend to talk about one topic per half hour, give or take uh, a tangent or two that they may go on. And I, I say that's a shrewd thing to do because, again, radio is a little bit harder. It requires a little bit more of a buy-in from you. If you're listening to this now either on the radio or on the stream or from the archive, you have to pay a little bit more attention. You don't have to look at it like you're looking at a screen on television, but when you look at the screen on television, you'll notice they have all these banners and other graphics and things like that to help people follow along, to help people who joined in later in the conversation. Radio doesn't have that. And because the topic, so that's why the topics have to be repeated and the, the gist of the, of the conversation needs to be repeated during the course of any amount of time on, uh, on an audio radio broadcast. So because of that, it's, it's smart not to jump from topic to topic to topic. But what I am going to try to do now is get three main topics in and focus on how they sort of all lead into something that I think is, is important for us to watch. So the first topic I want to talk about, obviously now, yeah, is, listen, what a difference a week makes on three different major stories that, again, I'm going to, to address in this half hour. And perhaps the biggest difference that we have seen in the form of public perception, public relations, uh, has come from gov- you know, the situation with Governor Cuomo in New York and the COVID-19 issue. Um, Governor Cuomo has been enjoying, as we know from the polls and as, as the, the media experts keep telling us, he's been enjoying a tremendous boost in his popularity and his national prominence as he does these daily news conferences about the effects of the virus and what he and his administration are doing in response to the virus. Uh, And that was all going great for him. But the last week or so, and maybe even just the last 72 hours, but let's say the last four or five days, things have turned on the governor because of the facts uh, of some very, very hard facts that have now come to light and are starting to finally get some coverage in what we call, you know, the mainstream media. Whether and, and and to me, one of the greatest examples of that, one of the best ways that you know that the it's really reached the overall public and not just the talk radio listeners and not just the hardcore readers of not just the the, the longer articles and newspapers, but people who follow other sources of information out of Albany and things like that, is that it's it's starting to be covered by the local news stations. I see that the Channel 7, 4, and 2, they're all covering this story, and that is the growing amount of information we're starting to find out about Governor Cuomo and his decisions about nursing homes 
in New York State. Now, for those of you who have been following me on Twitter and on Facebook, know that I have criticized Governor Cuomo's decision to basically trap elderly New Yorkers and people who were working in nursing homes, in those nursing homes. He did not allow COVID patients or people who were likely to have the coronavirus to leave those nursing homes. They had to be treated there. They were not allowed to go elsewhere, even though, for example, the USS Comfort came to New York Harbor, uh, the Javits Center was made available, things like that. And for those of you, again, who have been following me, you know that I was referring to this and considering this a bad mistake on the part of the governor, but not a malicious one, not a case where he knew those people were going to die, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I certainly wasn't giving him a pass. I wasn't giving a Cuomo a pass for this policy. But I was very much willing to, even though I'm certainly not a fan of him overall and his policies overall, which I think have not been good for New York, but I was willing to give him a pass on the worst connotations of this bad decision. Well, if you look at my Twitter feed, you'll see the details now of the order that he initiated on March 25th. And it's starting to look a lot worse for the governor. It's starting to look like he knew very well that this would be tantamount to a death sentence to some of the people who were staying in these nursing homes. It's looking worse and worse for some of his top health officials. And this will have to be looked into. And he's not alone. Uh, There were some other states where the similar bad decisions were made. And, of course, now we need to ask the question, with so many deaths now that have been attributed to COVID-19 that may really not have been because of coronavirus. In other words, we know that there have been a few thousand at the very least of the 85 or 80,000 or so deaths nationwide that have been called COVID-19 coronavirus deaths. Now we know for sure these were people who died of something else while they had been either likely diagnosed with COVID-19 at the same time or... They probably did have it, but that's not what caused their death. So if we have a 98-year-old person who dies of cardiac arrest who's had 10 heart attacks and they did test positive for COVID-19 in the last two days before they died, that's being counted in a lot of cases. Not all, and and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to downplay COVID-19. Clearly it has claimed the lives of thousands of people. But if we take these those numbers off the list and if we take these nursing home numbers and really look at them closely... We may be in a situation where almost half or maybe even most of the true deaths from COVID-19, the actual deaths that were caused by this disease and not by something else, may be nursing home related. And that, to me, is a huge scandal, especially if you take a look again on my Twitter feed at the, at the orders that have been found and published um, by a, a colleague of mine, a reporter named Jack Posobiec, who you should absolutely follow on Twitter as well. Very good investigative reporter um, who found and published and put online all the, the, the actual orders from the governor. The actual orders from the governor. So now we need to see what Governor Cuomo's response will be. I have been critical already of his, I, I would say, obfuscation. Uh, I, I don't know if it's complete cover-up. I don't know if I want to use that word. But the governor has sort of pretended like he didn't know when he was first asked about these orders, I guess two or three weeks ago, he pretended like he didn't know what it, know about him, know about him. And now we need to really see where he goes with his responses. Uh, one response has been that he's changed the policy. Now they're really trying to crack down and look more and give more aid and testing and help to the nursing homes. That's good. It's, it's too late. It should have been done a long time ago. 
just like the cleaning of the subways was done, I guess, last week for the first time ever, right? They shut down the subways during some of the overnight hours and early morning hours to thoroughly clean the subway, something that should have been done a long time ago. And again, I urge you to take a look at my Twitter feed. You have to do, I'll, I will put some of these articles back up to, at the top of the feed so you don't have to be a detective and go through days and days and days of my posts. But I've written many columns and articles in the past about how to improve New York and all mass transit in, in, in America. And the short answer to that question is follow Japan and their example. Japan's example is a very good example of how to make things work when they weren't working so well before. Um, but I'll put that at the top of, I'll have a number of articles and columns and things at the top of my Twitter feed today so that you can find them. Uh, and you don't have to search for too long. But there's been a number of late responses from the governor and things like that. Again, they've made this policy change that they should have made immediately, really focusing on the nursing homes, because we don't, we've known from day one that elderly people with comorbidities, which is another way of saying they have another deadly um, condition that they're dealing with, we've known that they've been the number one most susceptible group for this virus. So this, this decision that the governor made just yesterday, I mean, that's Sunday, for those of you listening to this in the archive, Sunday, May 10th, this decision that was made, this policy change that was made on May 10th should have been made on April 10th. Uh, better yet, should have been made on March 10th. Um, but it wasn't. Now, again, we're going to see very carefully, I'm, I'm going to pay, we have to pay a lot of attention and close attention to Governor Cuomo's response now that I do believe he will get more and tougher questions about this. It's been long overdue. He has what a lot of us call democratic immunity. He's been given a real pass, not only from the, the, the news media that has a liberal bent and doesn't want to criticize democratic leaders, especially those who have been critical of President Trump like Governor Cuomo has, but also because he's doing these news conferences in Albany. You may notice he has not come to New York City for these things for the most part. And the Albany News core is not as tough on the governor as some of the national news media people who might would be the new york city based folks that's just the facts uh sometimes they are it depends on it depends on the issue but for the most part albany now is a completely democratic town they used to have remember the, the republicans used to have control of the state senate and the democrats used to have to control the legislature that was true for decades here in new york and now it's Democrat-controlled in both houses, and Governor Cuomo doesn't have any real challenges. Now, I wrote a column, even irrespective of this nursing home thing, although it is actually connected in a way, but I, I, I left out the nursing home issue for the most part in a column I wrote last week talking about how I'm very worried that Governor Cuomo now has set the guidelines way too high to reopen the state properly. Uh, and I did briefly mentioned in that column that I'm worried that the nursing home controversy could be a reason why. I don't know for sure if that's the reason why. But the governor may be setting the criteria to reopen the state fully, reopen our schools, and do other things like that in the hopes of making sure that every demographic group and everybody is worried in New York for a longer period of time and suffers for a long period of time in order to cloud over and to avoid the attention focused only on the nursing homes. I don't think that that's working, though. Again, over the, what we've seen over the last three or four days is a renewed focus and a sharper focus on the nursing home issue. So, issue. so I don't think it's worked for him. But it doesn't mean that that will change. If the governor, and again, I don't know this, I'm not saying that this is the reason, but if the governor is setting the criteria for reopening New York at a, a level we cannot reach, and again, you can find this uh, again on my Twitter feed. I wrote it for a, in a column. 
then if he's doing that so that he can sort of continue to keep the focus off of the nursing home controversy, again, by frightening people about the safety level of schools or frightening people about the safety level of your office. Again, if you're worried about your school, your, your child's school or your office or other places, the chances that you'll be thinking all, all you know about that nursing home thing all the time may be less. On the other hand, you may be more. I, I think this is a, a risky maneuver if this is the reason why the governor is doing this. But the point is the pressure must be kept on Governor Cuomo. I don't trust the news media either in Albany, certainly not in Albany, and even in New York City to continue the proper pressure on the governor for this. But I do know people, sadly, who have lost loved ones in nursing homes in the last several weeks who want to apply that, apply that pressure, want to file lawsuits and things like that, and the pressure must re- remain on this governor. Uh, I don't think his leadership has been very good I'm not willing to accuse him of murder or anything else like that right now. But at the very least, he needs to change his policies. The, the schools and the camps and other things need to be reopened. Period. They will not be the same when they reopen. They will have to be a lot more cautious activity. There are going to be children who have compromising positions like diabetes and things like that who may not be able to attend right away. This is not going to be a happy return to normalcy even if we do it tomorrow. But this has to happen. So that, that's the issue right now. Um, but if, he's going, if Governor Cuomo is going to continue to put these situations, these guidelines at places where my, my colleagues, you know, again, not colleagues, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, but my friends who are medical experts tell me are, are too difficult to reach even within years. I mean, the, the amount, apparently the, the key issue here for, for me and some of these doctors is Governor Cuomo wants to have a very low number per 100,000 New York City residents, uh, New York State residents of uh, new infections per day before, for several days in a row before he allows things to reopen. And most of the doctors tell me that that number will not be reached even within a year or two. So that has to change. And again, if the reason why it's not being changed is just a mistake, an oversight, they need to readjust it, that's fine. It's not fine because it's taking too long, but at least it's, a, it's an honest mistake. But if the reason why he's keeping these levels so high is because he's trying to cloud over a huge mistake that he made, or maybe even a criminal act, then that's not okay. And again, if the pressure is put on Governor Cuomo as it should be, or even remotely as it should be, I want everyone to pay attention to how Governor Cuomo responds. If he continues to pretend like he doesn't know what, he's ta- what, what the issue is, that would be a very bad form for him. Even worse, though, be very careful and very listen. See if Governor Cuomo tries to turn himself into the victim. See if Governor Cuomo tries to turn this into something like a right-wing conspiracy. See if Governor Cuomo tries to turn this into some kind of attack on New York. See if Governor Cuomo tries to talk about how nursing homes are not fairly funded enough by the federal government and he didn't know how to deal with it because of that. If Governor Cuomo plays the victim card, if the pressure is put on him, then we have what I'm going to explain at the end of this half hour as an example of the Kane syndrome, as in Kane and Abel, which we're seeing in some other instances. So let me move on to the second topic now. Again, trying to be ambitious today and do three topics in a half hour, which is not recommended on radio, but we have just too much to cover and have to do it now. So the second topic I want to talk about, moving off of Cuomo and the nursing homes for a second, is the incredible talk about again what a week, what a difference a, a week makes the incredible revelations now and all the facts that are coming out in the 
investigation, indictment, and frame-up, no other way to say it, of General Michael Flynn, President Trump's first national security advisor, who even before President Trump was sworn into office, we now know documented there was a plot by senior members of the FBI and the intelligence community to frame him, to try to get him to lie, to fool him into thinking he was just being talked about, he was just being asked about certain intelligence issues and not being interviewed like being interrogated in a crime when you have rights and you can get a lawyer and things like that. And we know now that Andrew McCabe um, took the original interview and made sure that certain things were, were not made public, certain things were made public, so that everything would look really, really bad for Michael Flynn. And in the years following this frame job, many of these people came out and misrepresented what really happened in the, in the Flynn case. And then to make things worse, also revealed in the last few days are the testimony of certain people from the House Intelligence Committee who were the House Intelligence Committee investigating the so-called, and not even just so-called, the lie of the Russian collusion hoax the Trump campaign accused of colluding with the Russians in the 2016 election. Now we know that the main accusers, the people who paraded on television for more than a year to say, saying they had evidence of such collusion all admitted under oath they had no evidence of such collusion. And yet, even after they made those testimonies, they continued to say so on television. Now, this isn't just a case of political partisanship gone a little bit out of control. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls, ha, ha, ha. They're just sort of slandering each other. Uh, The individual politicians who have been slandered here, whether it's President Trump or members of his family, as bad as that is, I'm not really going to cry a river about that. Politics is an ugly and dirty game. But for General Flynn to be slandered in this way was really, really wrong. Here's someone who had not been a lifelong politician. He'd been a lifelong military man. And they deliberately slandered him. They pressured him. They threatened to prosecute his son for God knows what. Things like that are not acceptable. And moreover, the fact is is that they were talking about treason here. They were talking about crimes that in some cases you can get the death penalty for. This is not a joke. This is not just going on, meet the press, and bashing your opponents, and then everyone goes and has a drink later together. That's not what happened here. What we've had over the last four years in America is an ugly, ugly situation of people accusing others of treason, friendships being destroyed, colleagues looking at each other askance, a situation similar to McCarthy-esque America where people were really looking over their shoulder and, and, and frightened of and angry at their neighbors. There is some irreparable harm to the social fabric of this country, not just a political ugly event here. This is a horrific situation. And Andrew McCabe and John Brennan and James Clapper and so many other people honestly deserve to go to jail for this. I don't know if any one of them will. Because among other things, I really don't know if the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress have the stomach to do this. I know the Democrats would if they were in those shoes because they've done it. I mean, they initiated the Mueller investigation. They did all this kind of stuff, and they didn't really care whether they had proof or not. But now we have solid proof, and I haven't heard one Republican leader say, hey, we need a special prosecutor now. I haven't heard one top, real top Republican leader. I've heard some, some of the people who go on TV who are sort of lower-level folks talk about putting people in jail. But there's an even further wrinkle to all of this, folks, if you can keep your head from spinning just for a second, just, just bear with me. We, we are now starting to see what looks like pretty good evidence that this entire frame-up job on Michael Flynn 
was directed by or at least co-directed by President Obama, who was about to leave office, but was even as late as January 2017, his last couple of weeks in office, really, really coordinating this effort. And President Obama came out of, I wouldn't say he's in seclusion, but he came out and spoke in the last few days saying that the decision by the Department of Justice, based on the solid evidence, to drop the charges against General Flynn, he said was a real challenge to the rule of law. I mean, the amount of, you know, I tell you, it's something. The Talmud tells us that if you commit a sin once, it's a sin. Second time in your mind, uh, you know, you sort of think of it as a little bit less of a, of a bad deed. And then th- the third time you do it, you think of it like a mitzvah. Barack Obama is that guy right now. He has committed the sin of ripping up the rule of law. And now he thinks that the people who are upholding the rule of law by dropping the charges, these trumped up charges against Michael Flynn, he thinks they're the ones committing the sin. Incredible. But then there's an even further wrinkle to all this nastiness in that we know that in the last few days before Barack Obama left office, he did the same thing. He pardoned General James Cartwright for lying to the FBI about the level of the Iran, uh, the, the dealings in the Iran nuclear deal. Again, you can find the story on my Twitter feed. I will post this one as well. I did it on Saturday night. I'll do it again today, uh, which is Monday. The, the fact is, we have some serious, serious charges and some serious evidence that looks very, very bad for Barack Obama. But at the very least, the man is a hypocrite, right? I mean, he's talking about dropping charges and not pressing charges against a general who was accused of lying to the FBI. We know now that was because he was trapped into it in a faulty and, and, and wrong investigation. So the whole thing should be thrown out. It's like questioning someone without telling them their rights. I mean, it's, it's even worse than that in many ways. But we also know he's a hypocrite because he did the same thing. He effectively dropped the charges by pardoning Dr. General James Cartwright in 2017, early before he, t- he left office in, the fir- in January. So again, President Obama showing his incredible hypocrisy, showing his malfeasance and his bad act- acting as a bad actor in this entire situation. Now, you know, they've taught you ever since elementary school in this country, and I've been hearing this ad nauseum since I was a little kid, that one of the great things about the United States is that every time a president is either voted out of office or his term ends and it's time for him to leave, we have the peaceful transfer of office in this country, even when it's one from one party to another. And I guess it was peaceful. I mean, there weren't shots fired. I guess you can technically say that's still true. But this, to me, is proof that that hasn't happened. I don't know if other presidents did similar things. Maybe LBJ did something like this to President Nixon, although I've never heard of anything like that. But if there's, a, if there's a great LBJ or Nixon historian out there who can talk to me about something nasty that happened like that during the transition, let me know. We know that during the Clinton administration's transition to the George W. Bush administration, there was some dirty tricks pulled. There was some vandalism in the offices. In other, the, the Bush people came in and found some of the offices vandalized. All the W's had been pulled off of computer keyboards in one part of the press room, I think, something like that. All right, that's not nice behavior. That's not acting like a mensch. I get it. But it's not anything like what it looks like the Obama administration did. Uh, again, a lot of this confirmed. But if President Obama was directing this attack on the, on, on the incoming administration in this way, then he should be charged with a crime. Will he be? <laughs> Please. I mean... Almost every Republican I know, whether they'll admit it or not, I'm talking about Republicans in Washington, elected officials, are afraid of being accused of being a racist if they do anything other than just criticize Barack Obama's policies. 
If you have a Republican like Lindsey Graham or somebody like that who goes on television tomorrow and says President Obama should be charged with a crime, they will be, and they will be attacked as a racist. Now, some people are so used to that that they're willing to do that, but not a lot of Republicans in Washington, not, not that I've seen. But in this case as well, we have seen the people who have been involved in this saying that they were the victims. They're saying, again, Barack Obama is saying that William Barr, by dropping the case against Flynn, has, has attacked the rule of law. They are playing the victim card. He and some of these other people that I've talked about, whether it's Brennan or Clapper or some of these other folks who have been caught by the, these Flynn revelations, are saying that they're the victim, that the, that the law that they upheld is the victim. And they're playing the Cain and Abel card, and in this case, they're Cain. Now, finally, we have the last issue that I want to get to most briefly is Iran. Just in the last couple of weeks, Iran continues to prove why we must keep the economic sanctions on Iran, despite what Ben Rhodes, who was the unqualified assistant national security advisor under Barack Obama, and Senator Dianne Feinstein, who have both been pounding the table, along with a lot of other Democrats, pounding the table for more than a month now, saying that we must lift the economic sanctions against Iran because they're suffering so badly. They don't have any money because of the fact that the coronavirus has hit Iran so hard. And we, ex- we believe that their death toll is much worse than they're even reporting. And during that time, even during this table pounding, when you would think Iran would be smart enough to, to play, to keep, keep a lower profile with their militarism, <laughs> they've done the opposite. They did a satellite ballistic missile test launch. They had the money to do that. They've, uh, they did a big war green, war, naval war games exercise over the past weekend where 19 of their sailors died because they were, you know, they were so stupid. They didn't know how to do the war games correctly and their sailors were too close to a target that, that they, that they uh, attacked. So they lost 19 of their own people in, a, in what you call a friendly f- fire incident. And now we know that they launched a cyber attack, an attempted cyber attack on the civilian water supply in Israel. In Israel. So they got money to launch cyber attacks. They've got money to do massive naval exercises that kill 19 of their own people because they don't know how to do it right. And they've got the money to do a significant satellite launch, a ballistic missile test, the whole thing. But Diane Feinstein and Ben Rhodes want to make sure that we give them more money because, of course, they'll use that to, for medical purposes and to feed their people and the whole thing. Baloney. Of course they won't. I don't know how much how many times or how, how much we need to see Iran using every spare penny it has to continue its militarism for us to understand that you can't give them any money. And, there's collater- and there are innocent people who suffer because of that, and that's true. But more innocent people will suffer if we don't continue to hold on to the, to the sanctions. It's as simple as that. Now, Ben Rhodes... I think he's incredibly unqualified for, to talk about foreign policy, despite the fact that he worked in the, you know, as an national, assistant national security advisor. It, nobody seems to know how he got that job. He was some, again, he was some kind of like literature student in college. He never had foreign policy experience before. But he's not a stupid person. He can read, he can write. Senator Dianne Feinstein can read and write. Certainly members of her staff can. So one has to wonder what in the world we're talking about here. Why, why are they asking for this? Now, again, I just want to wrap this up with a quick point about what I call the Cain effect. Remember that when Cain gets busted, for lack of a better word, by God, in the murder of his brother, 
Everyone talks about the, oh, am I, am I my brother's keeper response. To me, that's just an, ex- an example of his nastiness. That doesn't really teach us anything. What really teaches us something is the fact that after God busts him for the murder, Cain plays the victim. He says, wait a minute, you're, you're banishing me? People are going to kill me. How can, you can't do that to me. Now he's the victim. The, question, the, the issue here, though, that I think you need to understand is that Cain always thought he was the victim. He killed Abel because he thought he was a victim of favoritism. He's always the victim. The victims, and victims don't think they have any more responsibility for anything. Well, they do. <laughs> and usually people who think they're victims all the time are not. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.